Good morning. This little microcosm of church, you know, act happy, put on a smile, act like it's all okay. Odds are it's not necessarily okay. There's all kinds of things going on in our lives. Some things are great, some things are not great. Um, if you're here today and you're perfect and have your act completely together, um, could you stick a hand up in the air? You, you can leave if you're going to stick your hand up in the air. You're done. Here's my point. My point is that we're all constantly asking God to rescue us and to improve us and to take us to the next level. Um, which brings us to the, the God question. Where are you with God this morning? I'm going to give you a couple of options. Um, for some people, you know, I just, I just engaged God in worship. I feel like I'm looking him in the eye. I'm holding hands. We're tight. We're good. For other people, it's very much kind of God's across the street. I, you know, we, I tried to sing, and I'm trying to connect, but we're, there's a little bit of distance between us. That's okay. Been there, done that. For other people, you actually realize, you know, I think my back is actually to God. He's calling out to me from maybe a couple of blocks away, but I, I'm not engaging. And then for other people, it's, I don't know if there is a God. I, I'm open to the possibility of the experience, but that's where I'm at. Now, here's my point. Nobody in this room is perfect, and depending on how old you are, you've probably been in every one of those spots, and you may be again someday. So with a lot of grace and patience for one another, we engage this together. So the series is all about relationships. And so what we talked about the first week in relationships is know your role. There's no way to be a great husband if I don't know what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation about being a husband. As soon as I have that target, I can engage it. The second week, we talked about building up other people, that our focus is not just on ourselves, but how do I build up other people, make them stronger in relationships. This week, we're going to talk about conflict resolution. And um, Keith put things nicely at last service when he said it's kind of a, a toolbox. So there's going to be a lot of information, okay? But you, the question is picking out the tool that you need to maybe improve on. Maybe the tool that God wants to hand you today to do a little bit better job in terms of conflict resolution. Um, I will say that this morning's sermon is, is, has a degree of difficulty of maybe, maybe a seven, which means it's a nine for some of you and a five for others. Um, I know that because I got a lot of comments at the door, and I had some people with, with tears. So I know that there's conflict out there. So let me pray, and then we will jump in a little bit more. Father God, we ask that you would lead, guide, and direct our hearts and our minds. We ask, Father, that you would teach us, and that you would be gentle with our hearts, also firm in guiding us down this pathway. Be in the midst of your people and their hearts and their minds. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So what I want you to do is I want you to imagine after church, you get home, and maybe you lock your door, maybe you don't lock your door, but either way, you open up your door, and there are a bunch of people in your house. Some of them are stealing your food. Some of them are watching cable. They're stealing your cable. Some of them are stealing your Wi-Fi. Some of them maybe are picking through your tools or your sewing stuff or your crafts. Either way, there's a, a bunch of people in your house blowing through your resources. Let me say that again. There are a bunch of people in your house 
blowing through your resources. This is your introduction to conflict resolution. The people that you are sideways with, that you haven't resolved it, are still in your head, still in your heart, even when you're not with them, and they're plowing through your resources. You know this if you're scared or furious at your boss, if you're sideways with your spouse or your parents. They may not even be in front of you, but there's conflict between you, and they're still in your house. You don't have to be super familiar with Christianity to know the idea of the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, basically what God does is He lays down a couple of rules, ten rules. And the preponderance of those rules are so that you aren't in conflict with God and that you're not in conflict with other people. Because that's what God is constantly doing from Genesis to Revelation. He's trying to get us not in conflict with Him. That's why He sent His Son, to reconcile us to God through His sacrifice to close the gap, the distance between us and God. But then the other half of the Ten Commandments are where we're sideways with each other. Because God's not just kind of your God. He's also a God of His people, and we are His people. And we're supposed to reflect what He's like as somebody that is engaging in conflict resolution and creating peace and restoration and redemption. So I want you to be thinking about a couple of things. One is, what does Jesus say about people that you're in conflict with? Because he walked around with a bunch of people that were in a lot of conflict with Rome. And so the people were constantly saying, Jesus, what are you going to do about the Romans? The Romans have abused us and have conquered us and are mean to us. And we're thinking that you're the Messiah, you're the rescuer, you're going to be the person in charge of a revolution, what does that look like? And Jesus says some crazy things like this. He says, you know what? If the Roman soldier comes and makes you carry his pack for a mile, carry it too. If that Roman soldier smacks you in the face, I want you to turn and present your other cheek. Why does he do this? That's a deep question, a question you're going to have to run through your mind a whole bunch. But let me give you at least one insight into maybe why he does this. One is this. If you're victimized by somebody, and they slap you or they make you do something, you're just a victim. But if you choose a response, you're now something else. So when someone abuses me, when somebody neglects me, when somebody attacks me, when somebody lies to me, takes advantage of me, gossips about me, slanders me, bullies me, cheats me, steals from me, and hurts me, my response is the question about whether or not I'm leaving them as an invader in my house or whether I'm kicking them out, whether I'm going to just be a victim or if I'm going to be something else in this conflict. So we're going to go through a toolbox, and the toolbox starts with this. In Philippians 4, 6, it says this. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So the first question about conflict is, have you let God in? It says, if you have anxiety about something, so you're in conflict with someone, maybe it's anxiety, maybe it's anger, maybe it's depression, it could be all sorts of things. The question that's provoked by this verse is, are you inviting God into the midst of that? Or are you going it on your own? Because when I go it on my own in terms of conflict, these are some of my options. Maybe you're familiar with them. Option number one when I'm in conflict is just avoid. So if they're stealing my Wi-Fi, they're watching my cable, they're eating my food, I'm just going to act like it's not happening and just go about my day. Or I'm, I'm going to distract myself. I'll go, I'll go to my man cave and I'll, 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 I'll hang out there and watch, watch, the, watch the game and, and just act like that's not going on. I, I can distract myself, that's another option. I can also escalate. You know, I can, I can throw down with them. But what would happen if I invite God into my conflicts with my boss? My conflicts with my spouse, my kids, extended family, all kinds of things. What would it be like if I invited God in? And I want to ask you to maybe think about inviting God in in a specific way. Not in the way that we sometimes do, which is, I'm in conflict with someone. Hey, God, fix them! But instead to say, God, come into the midst of the thing that I have some control over, where, where my mind is at, where my heart is at, where my attitude is at. God, could you come into the midst of that? Come into the midst of my anxiety and my anger. I'm requesting assistance. That's step number one. Step number two is, it says this in Proverbs 25. It says, the purpose in a man's heart is like deep water. But a man of understanding will draw it out. What's this got to do with conflict resolution? Well, let me give you a couple of things to think about. If you're married, you'll understand this. If, if I go, and my wife isn't even here second service. I must have made her mad first service. But she was in here first service. And uh, if, I, if, I, if I say something to my wife that sounds like this, Honey, what's wrong? And the response that I get is, Nothing. That's DEFCOM 7. That's, that's a solid yellow light, right? And then I go, no, seriously, tell, tell me what's going on. And then I get, I'm fine. This is DEFCOM 10, right? This is red light. This is chocolate flowers and I need to go to Jared, right? The question becomes, am I the person that draws out what's really going on in her? Or do I take her literally when she says, nothing's wrong, I'm fine. Oh, great, nothing's wrong, she's fine. I can I just go up. <laughs> but I know that that's not the case. The, the question is, can I draw something else out of her? Am I the sort of person that it talks about in this verse? who draws out that deep water that's in someone else. My son Chip had dyslexia, has dyslexia. And so um, when he was a little kid, it was really hard to read and um, really hard to study. And he would be up midnight, 1 a.m., trying to fix all the words are jumbled and backwards and everything else. 
And so I go to check on him one time, and, and how, how are you doing? I'm fine. How are you doing? I'm okay. Need any help? No. And I could have just left. But I went in. Chip, what's going on? I'm studying this stuff, and it's taking forever, and I'm exhausted, and I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I can't do this. And so I asked him a question. I said, I said, I said Chip, you know, your, your sister Madison, you're, you're teaching her a lot of things because he's a good big brother. He's you know, teaching her how to do chores around the house and everything. I said, do you ever get, like, really frustrated with her and, you know, just, just want to quit teaching her? And actually, he's the patience of a saint. So he, he said, no, I, I really don't. And I said, well, why? Why? I mean, you, you teach her these things, and she doesn't get it, and she screws up at it and everything else. She goes, well, she's just a little kid. And I said, well, here's the deal, Chip. You know, the patience that you're showing towards your sister, you need to start to show yourself. And he's eight, nine years old, and it's the first time he's even thought about his self-care. But I'm also teaching him something else. I'm teaching him how to be drawn out by drawing him out because he's going to have a spouse someday and he's going to have kids someday. And you can ask a couple of questions at the door and they say, fine, okay, whatever, and you just leave. And what if I had? If I didn't draw out anything and I'd never become trustworthy of his pain and frustration, if I'd never earn the right to be heard by drawing out things. So that becomes one of the questions. How good are you at drawing out the deep things in other people? And that may be a place where you ask God, God, I need that in my toolbox. Because far too often, when they say I'm fine and I'm okay, I just leave, knowing things are sideways, but not knowing what to do. The next potential thing in the toolbox, Ephesians 4, 26, says this. Be angry, yes, and do not sin. Oh, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Okay. At Proverbs 12, 16, fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent quietly shrug off insults. There are two equal but opposite errors to be made in conflict resolution. Notice the top one, be angry, it's not the anger that's the problem. But do not sin and don't let the sin go, don't let the sun go down on your anger. What's the idea? Well, it's a couple of ideas. One is short accounts. You need to, when you're sideways with somebody, talk to them before the sun goes down. Or what'll happen? Well, you know what'll happen because you've done it. The sun goes down and I don't talk about it and I keep track of it and I start to stockpile more and more anger, frustration, and bitterness. So that when we finally do have a conversation, it's an explosion that nobody can survive. So some of you, the toolbox issue might be, Father God, I need help to engage things before the sun goes down. But there's other people in this room that need to hear the other one. Fools have short fuses and explode all too quickly. The prudent quietly shrug off insults. There's another kind of person. The other kind of person that says, you did this? Oh my God, you can't believe it. And they're that way all the time. 
They explode. It's 10 out of 10 every single time. And they're extraordinarily volatile. And nobody's ever going to do conflict resolution with you because they're terrified of you. These are the two extremes. The question becomes, am I the person that doesn't just explode all the time? Do I shrug some things off? Do I act calm? How do I carry myself in the midst of conflict? And the other is, do I just bury everything and, 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 and have a bitterness stockpile? And I don't know about you, but I, I know when I have a bitterness stockpile because much like you have a fire and, and your fire burns all the way down, it's just embers and it looks like no big deal, nothing's going on there, but you can throw the smallest little twig on there and it goes... Because all that fire is still down in there, and any little thing will set it off. Which one are you? Where do you need to invite God in? The courage to confront or the patience to shrug it off? James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear. Slow to speak, slow to anger. Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Are you a person that's quick to hear? Would people look at you and say, I can do conflict resolution with this person because I know this person is going to listen to me and they're going to try to understand what's going on? Or is this person fast? to speak, and fast to anger? Do you interrupt people constantly when they're trying to describe something, or do you wait? Again, my son Chip, I, I had taught him various things growing up, and so one of the things I taught him is how to do the dishes, because you have a free slave for 18 years, that's what you do. So I taught him how to do the dishes. And one time I'd said, hey, there's some stuff you know, in, in the sink, I need you to go and, and, and take care of it. And so he disappears to go do that. And then I'm, I'm in the other room, and some time goes by. And um, I, I go into the kitchen. And there is a giant foam monster coming out of the dishwasher. And there is water all over the floor. And I had just tiled the kitchen, and I had shown him how to do it the right way. And I had done it with him multiple times. And there's no excuse for his behavior. And I don't know how much it's going to cost me to retile the room. And I didn't do that. Chip, Chip comes around the corner, meek little face, looking at the foam monster. Chip, what, what happened? And then he described it, and it makes all the sense in the world. So, Dad, you know, I, I, I know how to do the dishes. I, I cleaned the plates, and then I put them all in there, and then I couldn't find the little, you know, little pod things. And so I got some laundry detergent, because that made sense to me, and I didn't know how much to put in, and I thought, you know, better too much than too little. Now, hear me. I could have gone off. 
And how much trust would he have in me in the future for conflict resolution or anything else? I could have made lots of assumptions rashly. I could have not asked questions. I could have not listened actively. And then all of a sudden, I'm that dad. I can't tell my dad anything. How are you? Are you quick to hear? Do you give an answer before you even hear? Where does God need to help you? It goes on in Matthew 18. There's a whole sequence. We're going to have three verses in a row. And this is what goes on in those verses. In Matthew 18, 15, it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, great. You've gained your brother. Now, I don't know about you. I don't really like this verse. I'm going to adjust it a little bit. If your brother sins against you, go and tell everybody on Facebook or a bunch of guys at the bar or a bunch of girlfriends or some group chat thing or my BFF or my mother-in-law or my father-in-law or somebody else. Now hear me, conflict resolution. If I go to them one-on-one, there's a chance we can fix this. But if I don't go to them one-on-one and I try all these other things, A, I'm still sideways with them. B, I'm now sideways with God because I blew off his commandment. And C, all the people that I talk to are now sideways with this third party who has no idea what's going on. Jesus says things in a very specific way. You go directly to the source. You have that conversation. You don't go every place else. This thing on Facebook kept coming up this last week, and it just annoyed me so much. It said, you have to have a vent partner. And I totally agree. You absolutely need to have a vent partner. His name is Jesus. That's your vent partner. Don't distribute poison to other people. Don't talk about people that aren't in the room, that can't defend themselves. That's inherently unfair. And if you do that... Good luck with conflict resolution because the people that I know that come talk to me and are extraordinarily comfortable about talking about people that aren't in the room, I don't trust at all. But what if it doesn't work? That's good. It says this in the next verse, but if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you so that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Notice how tight this church is that Jesus is going to be building. Basically, if you're sideways with somebody, go get a mediator. Go get an older couple in the church. Maybe go to family counseling. Okay, there's all, but bring in someone else that can maybe help you guys hear each other, see each other, communicate well with one another. If you two can't figure it out, add wisdom to it from a third party. Now again, the question becomes, do you do that when you get sideways with somebody? That's talking specifically about the the church, okay? So you might go, well, what do I do with this out in the world with my my crazy boss? Well, you can always go to HR, and sometimes that's awesome, and sometimes you're like, (laughs) sometimes you aren't going to resolve the conflict because the way the world does things and the way 
we do things are different. The question becomes, how are you doing at conflict resolution? And are you following the patterns and the ways that Jesus has set in motion? So you've brought in this third party. What if that doesn't work? It says this in the following verse. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. It's basically escalate it to the elders. What if that doesn't work? If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does he mean as a Gentile and a tax collector? Well, Gentiles and tax collectors that were outside of the church were not to be trusted. What does this all mean then? It means that some people are not trustworthy and you will have to set some borders and boundaries. Conflict resolution will not always work with some people and you're going to have to keep yourself at a certain distance. You still love them. You can still engage with them but you're not entrusting yourself to them in the same way that you maybe previously had. How are you at this? Philippians 2.4 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So here's the trick question with all this. Are you looking for a solution or are you looking for revenge with the people that you're in conflict with? Are you looking for a solution or are you looking for revenge? My wife and I sometimes get sideways. Apparently something I said in the sermon, she's not here. Um, I'm just kidding, we're fine. We've done this for a long time. Um, When we're in conflict, I I, I just want you to know that in in the moment of conflict, I am absolutely 100% sure that I'm right. And she just needs to hear me for a little bit, and then she'll go, ah, godly husband, you're right. But let's practice what we preach. So, I'm sideways, I I think I'm right, but I'm sideways with her. I invite God in, I want to listen to her, I draw out what's going on in her. I'm not quick with my anger or speaking. I'm engaging this in 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 a short account sort of way. I haven't stockpiled bitterness. What I want to do is I want to make sure this doesn't happen again. I want our relationship to get wise. I don't want to have the same fight 50 times. Or have you had the same fight 50 times? It's part of what's running around in your mind right now. I would love to fight with my spouse about X, but you know what? I know exactly what she's going to say. I know exactly what he's going to say. And I gave up talking about this a long time ago. Not as of today. As of today... Engage differently with some of the tools from the toolbox. Re-engage intimacy. One of the things that Jesus does is he says to his church, his followers, he says, the world is going to recognize that you are my followers, you're my disciples, by the fact that you love each other. And you don't love each other like the world loves. You love like I love. Forgiving seven times 70 and walking the second mile and turning the cheek and and saying to the very people that are crucified, Lord, forgive them and hold this not to their account. Not just looking at your own interests, but the interests of others. 
This conflict that has happened, what's a win-win solution for both of us? How can we do this better in the future? And then it says this in Luke 6, 37. It says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. And the whole second half of this chapter of Luke is Jesus talking about Christians being extraordinarily different than the world. That we don't just love those that love us. We, we love those even that hate us. We forgive people that sin against us seven times a day. We, we're, we're just a really different sort of people. But it's easy to read this verse and to think that this is about you and God, and it's not. Judge not, and you won't be judged by other people. Condemn not, and you won't be condemned by other people. Forgive, and you will not be forgiven. He's talking about, it's not karma, it is consequences. He's talking about living a very different way. And that you'll be not as sideways with as many people if you're a different person. What kind of person are you? I judge all the time, but you know what? Because I'm a prophet of God, and I've got discernment, and I need to tell everybody this political party or this thing is right. And I got to condemn everybody, because obviously everybody's not smart enough to know. And I need to forgive nobody. Do you know anybody like that? Are you ever like that? Or are you the opposite? You're a person that does not engage in constant judgment of other people. Discernment, sure. Judgment, no. Are you somebody that doesn't condemn everybody all the time, everywhere? Not just in the conversation, not just with third parties, even in your own head and heart. And then it says this. Are you a forgiving person? Because here's the deal. I know people that are bitter little pills about everything on the planet. And they are full of judgment, and they are full of condemnation, and they've always got a list of offenses going on. And they're not distributing forgiveness. And you know what? My chances of doing conflict resolution with them are almost zero. Why? Because of who they are, because they're unapproachable, and to be honest with you, because they have a catalog Excel spreadsheet on me that's 80 pages long. Trust me, I'm a pastor. Some people have 80 pages on me. The flip side is, there's this other person. They're not judgmental. They are discerning. They ask penetrating questions. That's fine. They're not in condemnation mode. They're in grace mode. They're in reconciliation mode. They're in redemption mode. They're in restoration mode. They're in forgiveness mode. What's my chances of doing conflict resolution with them? Hi. They're a safe person. I can go talk to them. Which one are you? Because some of us have all kinds of conflicts out there with all kinds of people, not only because we don't have tools in the toolbox to know how to deal with it, but also because we're a pretty crazy, religious, mean, dark person that's unapproachable. Make the adjustment. If you're not sure where to make the adjustment, ask God. If you're not sure where to make the adjustment, 
Ask a good friend or a spouse or your child. In love, hopefully, they will tell you where to make the adjustment. We ask God in. We listen deeply to hearts. We don't fly off the handle, but we, we, we deal with things with short accounts. We don't just talk. We actively listen. So this would be the way I'd sum things up. Number one, pray about it. Wherever you're in conflict with anyone, ask God into the midst of that. Ask for wisdom and discernment. Secondly, don't assume, draw out the deeper. That foam monster that you could have went off on may be very explainable. Or if nothing else, you'll understand their own woundedness, their own failures, their own brokenness. Three, be quick or slow as needed. You know who you are. If you bury everything, it's time to stop. And if you go off about everything, it's time to slow up. Number four, listen to understand and feel. Again, my wife has had to teach me a good portion of life. And so she will be talking to me, and I want to fix her. Okay? Not like she was wrong, but I mean, she'll be saying, this is what's going on in life. And, and, and I'll be like, well, you just need to do this, you just need to do this. And finally, one day, she had to cry and say, you know what? I'm really not stupid. I don't need you to fix me. I'm trying to not be alone in this. Would you please feel me? Oh, okay. I never knew that. Do you understand? Not up here. Do you understand here, heart to heart, what's going on with somebody that you're in conflict with? Five, private before public. I cannot possibly over-exaggerate this. You talk to God about this person, and you talk to that person, and you don't take it anyplace else. One of the elders at one of the churches that I was on staff at, he, he taught me, he said, it, it, it is questionable if you ever need to have a conversation about somebody that's not in the room. The other thing he told me is this, he said, I want you to imagine that every single conversation that you have about somebody that's not in the room, that's, that it's all on videotape, and someday you're going to answer to God and that person for what you said. I'll tell you, that has straightened out a lot in me. I can't prove it biblically. It does say, however, that all things will be revealed. And number six, seek a win-win solution. Not just you win, but you and whoever you're in conflict win, win together. Think about their needs as if they were your own. Esteem others as even more important than yourself. Then all of a sudden, we're a lot like Jesus. We're a lot like God to one another, to the world. And the world starts to go, I don't know, what, but those people are patient and they're kind, and they don't fly off the handle, and they're gracious, and they're, they're amazing. And God wants us to be amazing like he is, as his children, growing up in his likeness. Let us pray to be amazed and to become amazing. Father God, we ask for your help in picking through this toolbox this week. There's a lot of ideas here, and yet, Father, we need to know which one you want to put into our hands, where you want to transform us. We ask, Father, that you would not so much bring conviction as bring hope. Bring hope for how we can do things better. How we can make all the relationships around us more full of light and hope and love. 
We ask, Father, that you'd be in the midst of our conflicts and you'd be guiding us. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen.